0: Section 36 of the Underground Railroad, Part 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Casper. The Underground Railroad, Part 5. By William Still. Section 36 Portraits and Sketches francis ellen watkins harper part 2 with her newly acquired reputation as a lecturer from 1856 to 1859 she continued her labors in pennsylvania new jersey new york ohio etc in the meantime she often came in contact with underground railroad passengers especially in philadelphia none sympathized with them more sincerely or showed a greater willingness to render them material aid she contributed apparently with the same liberality as though they were her own near kin even when at a distance so deep was her interest in the success of the road she frequently made it her business to forward donations and carefully inquire into the state of the treasury THE CHAIRMAN OF THE COMMITTEE MIGHT PUBLISH A VOLUME OF INTERESTING LETTERS FROM HER PEN RELATING TO THE UNDERGROUND RAILROAD AND KINDRED TOPICS, BUT A FEW EXTRACTS MUST SUFFICE. WE here COPY FROM A LETTER DATED AT RUSHELVANIA, OHIO, DECEMBER 15TH. I SEND YOU TODAY TWO DOLLARS FOR THE UNDERGROUND RAILROAD. IT IS ONLY A PART OF WHAT I SUBSCRIBED AT YOUR MEETING may god speed the flight of the slave as he speeds through our republic to gain his liberty in a monarchical land i am still in the lecturing field though not very strong physically send me word what i can do for the fugitive from tiffin ohio march thirty first touching the news of a rescue in philadelphia she thus wrote i see by the cincinnati papers that you have had an attempted rescue and a failure that is sad can you not give me the particulars and if there is anything that i can do for them in money or words call upon me this is a common cause and if there is any burden to be borne in the anti-slavery cause anything to be done to weaken our hateful chains or assert our manhood and womanhood i have a right to do my share of the work The humblest and feeblest of us can do something, and though I may be deficient in many of the conventionalisms of city life, and be considered as a person of good impulses but unfinished, yet if there is common rough work to be done, call on me. Mrs. Harper was not content to make speeches and receive plaudits, but was ever willing to do the rough work, and to give material aid wherever needed. From another letter, dated Lewis Center, Ohio, we copy the following characteristic extract. Yesterday I sent you thirty dollars. Take five of it for the rescuers who were in prison, and the rest pay away on the books. My offering is not large, but if you need more, send me word. Also, how comes on the Underground Railroad? Do you need anything for that? You have probably heard of the shameful outrage of a colored man or boy named wagner who was kidnapped in ohio and carried across the river and sold for a slave ohio has become a kind of negro hunting ground a new congo's coast and guinea's shore a man was kidnapped almost under the shadow of our capital oh was it not dreadful oh may the living god prepare me for an earnest and faithful advocacy of the cause of justice and right In those days, the blows struck by the hero John Brown were agitating the nation. Scarcely was it possible for a living soul to be more deeply affected than this female advocate. Nor did her sympathies end in mere words. She tendered material aid as well as heartfelt commiseration. To John Brown's wife, she sent through the writer the following letter. Footnote Mrs. Harper passed two weeks with Mrs. Brown at the House of the Writer, while she was awaiting the execution of her husband, and sympathized with her most deeply. End footnote. Letter to John Brown's Wife Farmer Center, Ohio, November 14th My dear Madam, in an hour like this, the common words of sympathy may seem like idle words, and yet i want to say something to you the noble wife of the hero of the nineteenth century belonging to the race your dear husband reached forth his hand to assist i need not tell you that my sympathies are with you i thank you for the brave words you have spoken a republic that produces such a wife and mother may hope for better days our heart may grow more hopeful for humanity when it sees the sublime sacrifice it is about to receive from his hands not in vain has your dear husband periled all if the martyrdom of one hero is worth more than the life of a million cowards from the prison comes forth a shout of triumph over that power whose ethics are robbery of the feeble and oppression of the weak the trophies of whose chivalry are a plundered cradle an a scourged and bleeding woman. Dear Sister, I thank you for the brave and noble words that you have spoken. Enclosed, I send you a few dollars as a token of my gratitude, reverence, and love. Yours respectfully, Frances Ellen Watkins. Post Office Address, Care of William Still, 107 Fifth Street, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. May God, our own God, sustain you in the hour of trial. If there is one thing on earth I can do for you or yours, let me be apprised. I am at your service. Not forgetting Brown's comrades, who were then lying in prison under sentence of death, true to the best impulses of her generous heart, she thus wrote, relative to these ill-fated prisoners, from Montpelier, December 12th, "'I thank you for complying with my request,' she had previously ordered a box of things to be forwarded to them, "'and also that you wrote to them. You see, Brown towered up so bravely that these doomed and fated men may have been almost overlooked, and just think that I am able to send one ray through the night around them. And as their letters came too late to answer in time, I am better satisfied that you wrote. I hope the things will reach them.' Poor, doomed, and fated men! Why did you not send them more things? Please send me the bill of expense. Send me word what I can do for the fugitives. Do you need any money? Do I not owe you on the old bill pledge? Look carefully, and see if I have paid all. Along with this letter, I send you one from mr Stevens, one of Brown's men, and would ask you to send him a box of nice things every week till he dies or is acquitted. I understand the balls have not been extracted from him. Has not this suffering been overshadowed by the glory that gathered around the brave old man? Spare no expense to make the last hours of his, Stevens's, life as bright as possible with sympathy. Now, my friend, fulfill this to the letter. Oh, is it not a privilege, if you are sisterless and lonely, to be a sister to the human race? and to place your heart where it may throb close to downtrodden humanity on another occasion in writing from the lecturing field hundreds of miles away from philadelphia the sympathy she felt for the fugitives found expression in the following language how fared that girl who came robed in male attire do write me every time you write how many come to your house And, my dear friend, if you have that much in hand of mine from my books, will you please pay the Vigilance Committee two or three dollars for me to help carry on the glorious enterprise. Now please do not write back that you are not going to do any such thing. Let me explain a few matters to you. In the first place, I am able to give something. In the second place, I am willing to do so. Oh, life is fading away, and we have but an hour of time should we not therefore endeavor to let its history gladden the earth the nearer we ally ourselves to the wants and woes of humanity in the spirit of christ the closer we get to the great heart of god the nearer we stand by the beating of the pulse of universal love doubtless it has not often been found necessary for persons desirous of contributing to benevolent causes to first have to remove anticipated objections Nevertheless, in some cases, it would seem necessary to admonish her not to be quite so liberal, to husband with a little more care her hard-earned income for a rainy day, as her health was not strong. My health, she wrote at that time, is not very strong, and I may have to give up before long. I may have to yield on account of my voice, which I think has become somewhat affected, I might be so glad if it was only so that i could go home among my own kindred and people but slavery comes up like a dark shadow between me and the home of my childhood well perhaps it is my lot to die from home and be buried among strangers and yet i do not regret that i have espoused this cause perhaps i have been of some service to the cause of human rights and i hope the consciousness that i have not lived in vain will be a halo of peace around my dying bed, a heavenly sunshine lighting up the dark valley and shadow of death. Notwithstanding this yearning for home, she was far from desiring at her death a burial in a slave state, as the following clearly expressed views show. I have lived in the midst of oppression and wrong, and I am saddened by every captured fugitive in the north, A blow has been struck at my freedom in every hunted and downtrodden slave in the South. North and South have both been guilty, and they that sin must suffer. Also, in harmony with the above sentiments, came a number of verses appropriate to her desires in this respect, one of which we here give as a sample. Make me a grave, where'er you will in a lowly plain or a lofty hill. Make it among earth's humblest graves, but not in a land where men are slaves. In the state of Maine the papers brought to her notice the capture of Margaret Garner and the tragic and bloody deed connected therewith. And she writes, Rome had her altars, where the trembling criminal and the worn and weary slave might fly for an asylum." Judea, her cities of refuge, but Ohio, with her Bibles and churches, her baptisms and prayers, had not one temple so dedicated to human rights, one altar so consecrated to human liberty, that trampled upon and downtrodden innocence knew that it could find protection for a night or shelter for a day. In the fall of 1860, in the city of Cincinnati, Mrs. Harper was married to Fenton Harper, a widower and resident of Ohio. It seemed obvious that this change would necessarily take her from the sphere of her former usefulness. The means she had saved from the sale of her books and from her lectures she invested in a small farm near Columbus, and in a short time after her marriage she entered upon housekeeping. Notwithstanding her family cares, consequent upon married life, she only ceased from her literary and anti-slavery labors when compelled to do so by other duties on the twenty-third of may eighteen sixty four death deprived her of her husband whilst she could not give so much attention to writing as she could have desired in her household days she nevertheless did then produce some of her best productions take the following for a sample on the return from cleveland ohio of a poor ill-fated slave girl under the fugitive slave law to the union savers of cleveland men of cleveland had a vulture sought a timid dove for prey would you not with human pity drive that gory bird away had you seen a feeble lambkin shrinking from a wolf so bold Would ye not to shield the trembler In your arms have made its fold? But when she, a hunted sister, Stretched her hands that ye might save, Colder far than Zembla's regions Was the answer that ye gave. On the union's bloody altar Was your hapless victim laid. Mercy, truth, and justice shuddered, But your hands would give no aid. And ye sent her back to torture, robbed of freedom and of right thrust the wretched captive stranger back to slavery's gloomy night back where brutal men may trample on her honour and her fame and unto her lips so dusky press the cup of woe and shame there is blood upon your city dark and dismal is the stain and your hands would fail to cleanse it though lake erie ye should drain there's a curse upon your union fearful sounds are in the air as if thunderbolts were framing answers to the bondsman's prayer ye may offer human victims like the heathen priests of old and may barter manly honour for the union and for gold but ye cannot stay the whirlwind when the storm begins to break and our god doth rise in judgment for the poor and needy's sake and your sin-cursed guilty union shall be shaken to its base till ye learn that simple justice is the right of every race mrs harper took the deepest interest in the war and looked with extreme anxiety for the results and she never lost an opportunity to write, speak, or serve the cause in any way that she thought would best promote the freedom of the slave. On the proclamation of General Fremont, the passages from her pen are worthy to be long remembered. Well, what think you of the war? To me one of the most interesting features is Fremont's proclamation, Freeing the Slaves of the Rebels. Is there no ray of hope in that? I should not wonder if Edward M. Davis breathed that into his ear. His proclamation looks like real earnestness, no mincing the matter with the rebels. Death to the traitors and confiscation of their slaves is no child's play. I hope that the boldness of his stand will inspire others to look the real cause of the war in the face, and inspire the government with uncompromising earnestness to remove the festering curse and yet i am not uneasy about the result of this war we may look upon it as god's controversy with the nation his arising to plead by fire and blood the cause of his poor and needy people some time since breckinridge in writing to sumner asks if i rightly remember what is the fate of a few negroes to me or mine bound up in one great bundle of humanity our fates seem linked together our destiny entwined with theirs and our rights are interwoven together finally when the long-looked-for emancipation proclamation came although mrs harper was not at that time very well she accepted an invitation to address a public meeting in columbus ohio an allusion to which we find in a letter dated at grove city ohio which we copy with a feeling that many who may read this volume will sympathize with every word uttered relative to the proclamation i spoke in columbus on the president's proclamation but was not such an event worthy the awakening of every power the congratulation of every faculty what hath god wrought we may well exclaim how event after event has paved the way for freedom in the crucible of disaster and defeat god has stirred the nation and permitted no permanent victory to crown her banners while she kept her hand upon the trembling slave and held him back from freedom and even now the scale may still seem to oscillate between the contending parties and some may say why does not god give us full and quick victory my friend do not despair if even deeper shadows gather round the fate of the nation that truth will not ultimately triumph and the right be established and vindicated but the deadly gangrene has taken such deep and almost fatal hold upon the nation that the very centres of its life seem to be involved in its eradication just look after all the trials deep and fiery through which the nation has waded how mournfully suggestive was the response the proclamation received from the democratic triumphs which followed so close upon its footsteps well thank god that the president did not fail us that the fierce rumbling of democratic thunder did not shake from his hand the bolt he levelled against slavery oh it would have been so sad if after all the desolation and carnage that have dyed our plains with blood and crimsoned our borders with warfare the pale young corpses trodden down by the hoofs of war the dim eyes that have looked their last upon the loved and lost had the arm of executive power failed us in the nation's fearful crisis for how mournful it is when the unrighted wrongs and fearful agonies of ages reach their culminating point and events solemn terrible and sublime marshal themselves in dread array to mould the destiny of nations the hands appointed to hold the helm of affairs instead of grasping the mighty occasions and stamping them with the great seals of duty and right permit them to float along the current of circumstances without comprehending the hour of visitation or the momentous day of opportunity Yes, we may thank God, that in the hour when the nation's life was convulsed, and fearful gloom had shed its shadows over the land, the President reached out his hand through the darkness to break the chains on which the rust of centuries had gathered. Well, did you ever expect to see this day? I know that all is not accomplished, but we may rejoice in what has been already wrought, the wondrous change in so short a time just a little while since the american flag to the flying bondman was an ensign of bondage now it has become a symbol of protection and freedom once the slave was a despised and trampled on pariah now he has become a useful ally to the american government from the crimson sods of war springs the white flower of freedom and songs of deliverance mingle with the crash and roar of war The shadow of the American army becomes a covert for the slave, and beneath the American eagle he grasps the key of knowledge and is lifted to a higher destiny. This letter, we intended, should complete the sketch of Mrs. Harper's anti-slavery labors. But in turning to another epistle dated Boston, April 19th, on the assassination of the President, we feel that a part of it is too interesting to omit. Sorrow treads on the footsteps of the nation's joy. A few days since, the telegraph thrilled and throbbed with a nation's joy. Today, a nation sits down beneath the shadow of its mournful grief. Oh, what a terrible lesson does this event read to us. A few years since, slavery tortured, burned, hung, and outraged us and the nation passed by and said they had nothing to do with slavery where it was slavery would have something to do with them where they were oh how fearfully the judgments of ichabod have pressed upon the nation's life well it may be in the providence of god this blow was needed to intensify the nation's hatred of slavery TO SHOW THE UTTER FALLACY OF BASING NATIONAL RECONSTRUCTION UPON THE VOTES OF RETURNED REBELS AND REJECTING LOYAL BLACK MEN, MAKING, AFTER ALL THE BLOOD POURED OUT LIKE WATER AND WEALTH SCATTERED LIKE CHAFF, A RETURN TO THE OLD IDEA THAT A WHITE REBEL IS BETTER OR OF MORE ACCOUNT IN THE BODY POLITIC THAN A LOYAL BLACK MAN. MOSES, THE MEEKEST MAN ON EARTH, led the children of israel over the red sea but was not permitted to see them settled in canaan mr lincoln has led up through another red sea to the table-land of triumphant victory and god has seen fit to summon for the new era another man it is ours then to bow to the chastener and let our honored and loved chieftain go Surely the everlasting arms that have hushed him so strangely to sleep are able to guide the nation through its untrod future. But in vain should be this fearful baptism of blood if from the dark bosom of Slavery springs such terrible crimes. Let the whole nation resolve that the whole virus shall be eliminated from its body-that in the future Slavery shall only be remembered as a thing of the past, that shall never have the faintest hope of a resurrection! end of section thirty six.